1: Hello, I'm Anne McElvoy and this week The Economist asks, could Britain exit from Brexit? Voting to leave the EU now really is a one-way ticket to a poorer Britain, not just in the short
0: term, but for decades to come. The British people have spoken and the answer is,
1: we're out. Brexit means Brexit and we're going to make a success of it. There will be no attempts to remain inside the EU.
0: The whole Brexit process is a mess. It's a you know, train crash in slow motion, and we've got to find an exit from Brexit.
1: The British people voted and leave one. Jean Claude Juncker, President of the European Commission, has said that the UK will regret the decision, and the 29th of March 2019, when Britain's due to bow out of the EU, will be a sad and tragic moment. As British and European negotiators continue to tussle over the terms of the deal on which Britain will finally leave the European Union, politicians are trying to make the process as palatable as possible. But not everybody thinks it should go ahead. My guest today is Vince Cable, leader of the Liberal Democrats and an MP. He joined protesters at the weekend marching on Westminster to show their concern about the impact of Brexit. And I went to meet him in his parliamentary office, where he was preparing to vote on a succession of possible amendments to the Brexit bill. Let's start with the position now for people like yourself who are strongly opposed to Mm -hmm. Brexit. It seems to be kind of bifurcating between those who, one way or the other, are niggling on about another referendum. I'd put Tony Blair in that category and a number of Mm -hmm. others as well. Mm -hmm. And those who are really ultra-soft Brexiteers who think Mm -hmm. it has to go ahead. What's your position and why? Well,
0: it's very much the former, but I wouldn't phrase it in terms of another referendum, I think that that whole language about second referendums has become quite unhelpful and confusing and it certainly confused the electorate because i think they thought we were rerunning the last one so i think the basic message we have on that subject is you know the referendums happened article 50s happened the negotiations are happening we just got to look at the end product uh, when we see what the negotiations have produced or not produced The public should then have a choice. Do they want to go ahead with what they know is happening or have an exit from Brexit? So it is a vote on the facts, on the results, not a second referendum on the principle.
1: When would you envisage that being held?
0: Well, ideally, it should be held before we leave. I mean, that would be the rational time to have it. But I can envisage this whole process becoming extremely messy and complicated. It may be further down the track, in which case you're faced with more complex issues of rejoining but that ideally once we know the outcome of the government's negotiating process and what is in prospect that would be the time to have another democratic choice. I stress I'm not a fan of referendums I've always been highly suspicious that this is a good way to deal with complex issues but that's the way the process started and frankly the only way of delegitimizing the one we've had would be to have another one.
1: Delegitimizing is exactly the charge that those who supported Brexit would bring against you, or indeed some of those who uh, supported remain, but don't like the idea that when the public comes to a conclusion in a democracy, you come back again and tell them to, to vote again. If you don't like referendums, why have two? Uh, well,
0: for the reason I've given, that it is partly out of respect for the fact that people voted in one, that we, um, I think the only way of changing course is to go back to the public and you know, I, think, I don't know whether it was David Davis, but but certainly one of the leading Brexiteers said, you know, the nature of democracy is you have the right to change your mind. And people should have the right to change their mind. And I think the, the Brexiteers who are vehemently opposed to having another vote should have sufficient confidence. I mean, it may be that, I mean, they often claim that, um, you know, they understand the people and respect the people's will. Well, you know, take it on.
1: And if you lost again, that would be the end of that it? That would be
0: it, yes. That would settle the issue pretty much forever.
1: The other question that it throws up is, and you've spoken a bit there about, about timing, but unless you she named a date, wouldn't you be accused of gaming the system? You'd be waiting to the lowest possible moment of the result, perhaps with the maximum confusion, when even those who I think who are you know, on the, the negotiating side are saying, yeah, we do understand that there's going to be some period of upheaval... Of course, it, referendums is often about choosing timing. David Cameron chose wrongly. Yeah. Would you be prepared to say, look, it should happen by this date, and after that, I'll drop the subject? Yes,
0: I, that seems to be entirely reasonable. And if the government and the Labour Party were willing to adopt the same broad approach, then I think we should aim to do it properly and in an orderly way. When? Uh, well, as I say, once the negotiations are finished, but before we have actually left, so that there's still an opportunity to... Um, cease the process and to return to, well, return to remain full members of the European Union.
1: The government at the moment seems to be keen on pursuing the negotiations through to the bitter end, but there are a lot of noises coming perhaps out of the the negotiating team and and ministers around it that they may be looking at a no-deal scenario. Do you regard a no-deal situation as more disastrous than a bad Brexit deal or the other way around? No,
0: I think the no deal is is potentially very, very disastrous and the worst outcome that we could contemplate, uh, not least because of the, of the nature of the single market institution, which was you know, it was a British idea, people forget this, you know, 30 30 years ago, Mrs. Thatcher, very good thinking that, you know, we're no longer dealing with a simple world of tariffs, we're dealing with regulatory barriers. So we've built up 30 years of case history and institutional history around very complex issues. And if all of this is just left suspended in mid-air, you know, the potential for things going horribly wrong about cross-border trade, about aircraft in in civil aviation, about blood contamination, you know, take the latest thing which has surfaced where nobody's really thought through how you continue a European standard system. I mean, all of these things become highly uncertain. That's why rational people in the government, and I include people like Philip Hammond and Greg Clark and so on, are looking for a transitional arrangement, and clearly that is much better than crashing out. The, The problem about the transitional arrangement is that what the government now sees as a transitional arrangement, which is doing pretty much all of the single market stuff minus migration, free, free movement of labour, is almost certainly undeliverable, given the negotiating framework of the European Union.
1: You, be, you think there's no movement at all then on migration, but given that European countries, i spent last week in Germany, a lot of countries have difficulty with migration. A lot of them have to somehow tweak their arrangements to reflect it. And though we talk about freedom of movement as if it's an absolute, when you look, you look well, around yeah, the right. margins, Denmark no, being I, another I, example, I you find exceptions. No, I don't
0: disagree with you at all. And I think that's why if, if Britain remained committed to the European Union, I think it would be perfectly possible to get sensible arrangements on migration, for all the reasons you've just given. uh, First of all, there is growing disquiet in the European Union, not just in the UK, about the management of migration secondly in practice the european union is much more pragmatic than the dogma suggests i mean i spent 5 years trying to persuade the germans to sign up to free movement of professional staff but of course you can't you can't go to germany unless you have a german qualification and if you're an engineer or an architect or whatever so there are already limitations uh, and there are you know sensible people are looking at ways in which european migration can be managed, not in a bureaucratic way, but in order to alleviate some of the anxieties around free movement.
1: Does that mean that Angela Merkel is picking and choosing? She often accuses Britain of cherry-picking, but she's cherry-picking, or even being hypocritical on what kind of freedom of movement she supports?
0: Well, I, I wouldn't use hypocritical, but they've taken up a position which sounds very dogmatic. But actually, I think... If if it was seen that Britain were committed to long-term membership of the European Union, these things could I think be dealt with. You could you deal with it in two ways. You could deal with it by formal negotiation, which David Cameron tried and didn't succeed. And but maybe you go back to that. Uh, but the the more usual way of doing it is to introduce your own laws and
1: regulations
0: and test them in the courts
1: so you would you would think we should press further on issues like whether you were able to work in Germany? there's regulatory or often kind of professional body yes, constraints yes, there
0: are professional bodies there are potentially issues about Working in some areas but not others, and the Germans have a registration system where you know you're registering a particular town or city, and you, you can tweak that to give more restraints in areas where there is a problem. I mean, and I'm just thinking aloud. I mean, but there are some serious academics at the moment looking at how you could mitigate some of the public concerns around migration without walking out of the European Union.
1: Do you think that we're partly in this? position because it was underestimated the likelihood of a a leave result in Britain with a situation now looking into the German elections three weeks time Angela Merkel's the likely winner Uh, do you think it should be partly on her conscience that she didn't offer more
0: I think so yes I think there is criticism on both sides I mean for a whole complex history of reasons Uh, David Cameron didn't succeed in the negotiation I don't know I wasn't there I wasn't a fly on the wall I was disappointed. I think, you know, there is a potential for looking at these issues more in future. But I think they were they did make a mistake. Yeah, I think they probably underestimated the problem the British had. Should have been more accommodating. Yes, I think there was failure on both sides.
1: Accommodating in the sense of offering a deal on immigration, a deal on something else. Yes.
0: Yes, some of what Cameron was looking for around migration was I think reasonable in our context, and they didn't get it, and we've seen the consequences. I can understand why they reacted the way they did, and it was because ever since we launched this, the British have been lauding this as our great project, and we've been lecturing the rest of Europe for not doing it, and then suddenly to turn around and say there's a key bit of it we don't like anymore. You can understand why they reacted the way they did, but but it, it wasn't helpful, and it compounded the problem.
1: Let's talk about what centrist politics might look like now—the shape and form of a Bad Liberal Democrat result at the last election, exception of yourself coming back into into well, your seat.
0: Some, some very good MPs come back. No, it, the, the vote share was disappointing, for sure. But no, we've got more MPs and more diversity, and they're very high quality. But the vote share is way below what it should be. And mm-hmm. my job is, you know, to try and help boost it
1: what kind of liberal democrat party do you think would now make an impact so
0: i'm i'm fundamentally optimistic i mean i start from a position with uh, you know which is difficult you know we're a much smaller party in parliament than we were um our vote share is well down on 2010 and our local government base has shrunk though it's still you know alive and kicky in many areas Um, How do I see it progressing? I think there is actually a big opportunity because we're seeing a lot of fundamental polarisation in politics. We've got the Labour Party under a harder left regime than it's ever been in its history, I think certainly within our lifetime. The Tory Party very much under the grip of the the Brexit hardliners. Um, there's a gigantic space in between which we should be occupying. It isn't simply a question of occupying the space because in in a world where politics is polarised, people are frightened and they, you know, they, they vote tactically to keep the other lot out. So that's difficult if you're a third party. But I think it does represent an opportunity. Uh, I think the one big thing that I'm determined to crack. Which is once again to make us a party of young people, because we were. Corbyn has very successfully occup- occupied that ground. Good campaigning, popular messages, but I think, you know, Pied Piper of Hamlin, you know, led them along completely uh, the wrong path on Europe, let them mm-hmm. down on tuition fees like everybody else. <laughs> so you know, we got a fresh start, and uh, I think having. You know, interesting policies on helping the generation with housing, with education—not just universities, but vocational FE-type education. I think we can we can do well.
1: There is this space, and a lot of people are saying that we need a new party. We need a new political force. It might combine the right wing of the Labour Party with the Liberal Democrats. Uh, it might be called something else. David Owen, as you, as you know, had uh, some form with this uh, uh, as a founder of the SDP in the 1980s. said there's only, to me, that only one person who could do that, if it's possible, and that would be Vince Cable. Is he right?
0: Well, I would like the Liberal Democrats to widen out its appeal to people who are currently Conservatives and currently Labour. And they may join us or they may wish to stand on their own you know, An SDP-type group may well happen coming out of either of those two parties and working with them constructively. I was part of the SDP, so I've been through this process. It was a very difficult, messy process. Uh, it didn't. There was not a sudden emergence of a new force. If you remember, uh, there were two parties, and then they had to work together, and then they merged. So it's not. It's not straightforward. But I'm. I'm. I'm very inclusive, and I'm up for working with other people who identify themselves broadly with the values I'm describing.
1: But that wouldn't itself pull people away from the Labour Party, would it? And the problem that people have on the right of the Labour Party, even sort of what used to be the centre of the Labour Party uh, until uh, Jeremy Corbyn and co took over, is they either go along with it or they have to leave that party and join yours. There isn't a big sign that 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 is happening. So do you need to make some clearer offer, whether it's SDP2 or perhaps you've got something else up your sleeve, that says, here is a new party. It takes a, a lot of confidence to do that. You've seen it go wrong in your lifetime. How scary a prospect would that be?
0: Well, I don't encourage this idea of starting new parties because our, the British system is deeply unhelpful to new parties, as you know. I mean, Just to take one example, I mean, the, the Women's Equality Party was you know, a great idea, you know, appealing to more than half the population. Had some superb people in it saying very sensible things. But... it it was extraordinarily difficult to make any headway because of the, you know, you've got to raise lots of money, you've got all kind of compliance issues. I mean, starting a new party is horrendously difficult. And so, you know, we've almost certainly got to work with what we've got. And we are here. I, to to use your language, I, I do want to make an offer to people in other parties to work with us I'm not asking them they necessarily come along tomorrow and say we're sorry we want to leave our own party and join yours it can happen in a variety of ways but I I, I want us to be the the nucleus of a new force
1: and what would be the measure of success of that as we move towards the next election what would you be offering that didn't not to put too fine a point on it fail from a a, a third party point of view last Mm -hmm. time
0: Well, you've got the extreme optimistic scenarios, which we've seen happen in Canada, where they came from fourth to first, and in France, where they came from nowhere to first, but under different regimes and different voting systems. So we've seen how, uh, in extreme circumstances, with a combination of good luck and good leadership, you can break the mould. So you're the next Macron? Well, that would be extremely vain of me to say that. But, you know, as a model, as a model of, you know, how courage, actually, and good luck together can create new structures in politics, I think it's a very, very good one.
1: You might want to shoot me after if I fail to mention that you've also written a a political thriller. Was that something that came about because you thought you might need a a retirement (laughs) job, found yourself not only back in Parliament, but at the helm of of the third party and... uh, what, what thrills drive you to write fiction?
0: Well, I, I was in exile, and I thought probably permanent exile, as it as it happens. Yeah, open arms. It's a it's a political thriller, partly set in Britain, three years time, post Brexit Britain, partly set in India. Uh, love, politics, corruption. It's dealing with issues around identity and terrorism and conflicts between religion and politics and sexuality and gender in in politics it's it's a lot of things which matter but don't fit within the normal party political agenda so that's um, I wanted to bring all that together in a book that people would find readable I don't claim it's Robert Harris or Le Carre but it's a a beginner's start along that long road
1: it's a potboiler well it was
0: described as a bunk buster in the in the mail on Sunday but it's somewhere in that territory
1: yes Thank you very much, Vince Cable. Thank you very much. Well, what do you think? Will Britain, in the end, get a reasonable deal? Or should we try to exit from Brexit? And where would that leave democracy? On Twitter, we're at Economist Radio. And you can also follow me at Anne McElvoy. And if you can't squeeze all your thoughts into a tweet, never fear, there's email as well. Do get in touch via radio at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist.